mind you're going to be here. When I see you come to church, that encourages me. When you see others come to church, that encourages you. And your voice is so vital to this body. It's so vital. I was preaching some years ago in Lexington, South Carolina, and the pastor said uh, they had just been through a church split, which is never easy and is usually ugly. And uh, he made a comment that I'd never really thought of before. He said, I don't think the church has discovered its voice yet again. And and I said, what did you say? He said, I don't think that the church has discovered its voice yet again. You know, the church does have a voice, a collective voice in prayer. That's why corporate prayer is so important. A collective voice in praise. And, you know, sometimes when you go through an accident, especially if it's from your chest up, Sometimes it takes a while to regain your voice. And so your voice, as an addition to and a part of the body's voice, is very important. To pray and get God's attention, to praise and get God's attention, to encourage each other. So you being here is important. Number two, try to get someone here. And we'll tell you a little bit more about that in the afternoon service, but Pastor mentioned that. You, you, there's somebody you know. In fact, I would encourage you in the uh, just little bit that we have together today to sit down and write down on a piece of paper um, some names of people that you know, that you're concerned about, that you love, that maybe are neighbors, that, that you're coworkers, people that you live with, people that you work for, that work for you. Uh, those people have needs. And they have burdens and struggles. And God can use you to reach out to them. So try to get them here. Don't waste a week that an evangelist is in town. Now, it would be a a tragic waste if you had a shepherd in your town and in your church and you didn't heed his counsel, seek his counsel, get under his preaching, uh, seek his guidance and love. That would be a waste. And it would be, in the same way, a waste if you have an evangelist come into town and you don't seek to get someone to hear the gospel under the preaching of that evangelist because God's gifted the church with both the pastor and the evangelist. And so let's try to get someone here. And again, we'll mention more about that in the second service. Then we want you to be here. We want others to be here. But more than anything, we want the Lord to manifest his presence among us. We want him to show up, to be here. Now, we believe in the presence of God, that it's omnipresent, that he's everywhere at all times. So it's not like we're trying to summon up or call down his presence. He's here. We know that. But, you know, it's really not a matter of, of, I don't think, when we're seeking the presence of the Lord, it's not a matter of him being here or wanting something great to happen amongst us. I think it's more of a matter of us getting in tune with him. Isn't that right? When I came in this morning, Brother Isaac and Pastor were trying to tune in this remote uh, plug-in to the guitar. That was really neat. I thought, man, we're on high-tech ground right here. But uh, they were trying to get it tuned into the speaker. And I think sometimes we just need to get tuned into the Lord. Uh, Ladies, sometimes your husband's there, but he's not really there. Can I get a witness right there? You know, isn't that right? You know, (laughs) my wife said to me one day, "Uh, are you even listening to me? And I said, that's a strange way to start the conversation. But anyway, uh, you know, sometimes we just need to kind of get tuned in with the Lord because we're not tuned in with the Lord. So so, uh, that's what we mean when we're talking about seeking his presence. If he moves amongst us, if he manifests himself amongst us, oh, we're going to have a good time. And uh, that's the most important thing. So let's go to the Lord right now and ask him to do just that. Father, how we love you and how we thank you for the privilege that you've given to us to open up this precious book, the Bible. I thank you for each person that is gathered in this place. And now I just pray that you will work in our service. I pray that you would draw ourselves to your heart. 
I pray, Lord, that whatever troubles or difficulties we're facing in our own life and in our own mind will just fade away. And Lord, we'll be careful to thank you for what you do and for how you work in our midst, because we ask this in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. Brother J. Christopher White is in Denver, Denver, Colorado, and he is a he is an expert carver. He goes down into Texas primarily, and he finds juniper trees, and he selects them, and he carves some of the most amazing carvings that you've ever laid your eyes on. And a lot of them have a Western theme. You should look up J. Christopher White sometime later today. He carves horses and Indians and faces and intricate details, and, and he does a mixture, but he primarily does. Uh, he does a mixture sometimes of, of metal along with wood, but he primarily does wood. And J. Christopher White, years ago, was uh, kayaking down the Colorado River. He prided himself in the fact that he was uh, kind of an eclectic uh, an eclectic man. He, he worshipped a lot of different gods and followed a lot of different religions, and he mainly loved the outdoors. And he was kayaking on this great, great national river, and, and everything seemed to be going pretty good. He had been on other rivers before. I, I would think that you wouldn't venture onto the Colorado River if you hadn't had some experience. And he had experience, and, and he, had, he was a great outdoorsman, but all of a sudden his kayak capsized. And when it did... He, he did whatever you're supposed to do, maneuvering and turning and twisting and holding your paddle just right so that you could correct the, the capsize. And it didn't work. And he tried it again. And it didn't work. Now, all the while, he's going down the river and, 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 and hitting certain currents and, and, and coming very near certain rocks. And, and he tries it again, and it doesn't work. And so he tries to pray. And he cries out in his heart, Buddha, save me. And nothing happened. Still, all this while, he's trying to maneuver and twist and hold his paddle just right to get this, uh, this, this wrong righted. And it doesn't work. He says, Allah, save me. Nothing happens. Now he knows his window is fast, fast diminishing, and he is in grave danger if he doesn't right the kayak quickly. And so in a desperate moment, he cries out and says, Jesus, save me! And the kayak goes right. And when he got done with that trip, he got off onto the side of the river and he said, whoever Jesus is, I want to find out. And that led to him coming to Christ and believing on Christ and becoming a born-again Christian. Now, I, I want to say that you, you really have a choice when it comes to Jesus. You have a choice of you can believe on him or you cannot believe on him. In John 3 and verse 36, the Bible says that, that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because the wrath of God abideth on him. God is a perfect gentleman and he's not going to force himself upon anyone and he cannot make the choice for you. Someone says, well, I, I'm just going to wait till I get to heaven to see what God does with me. Well, God will do something with you, but if you don't make your choice now on this side of eternity, what God does with you then will not be pleasant. 
And so you have a choice. You can either believe on him or you can not believe on him. And I want to show you four choices that different individuals made concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of these, at least one of these, was a believer. And I yet I want us to see from Matthew chapter 26 in the last few hours of the Lord Jesus Christ before he died, what these individuals did. I want to preach to you on the subject this morning. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Look at our text, please. John, Matthew chapter 26, if you turn back a chapter, or just a few verses, you'll notice what the Bible says in Matthew 26 and verse number 47. Matthew 26 and verse number 47. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 47, And while he yet spake, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude, with swords and staves, from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him, uh, now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same is he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came, and forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Now I want you to notice that if you want, you can be like Judas. Judas Iscariot, and you can betray the Son of God. If you want, you can be like Judas and be the fool who betrayed him. Now think of this. This betrayal didn't come from someone that knew Jesus slightly. This betrayal didn't come from someone who had, associate, who had associated with Jesus a little. This betrayal didn't come from someone who was on the outside of the twelve and the seventy disciples. No, this betrayal came from someone who was a part of Christ's disciples, one of his close followers. He knew Jesus more than you and I know Jesus in the sense of physical, actual interaction. He knew Jesus and the, 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 the tone of his voice. He knew Jesus and the height of his, our Savior. He knew Jesus and he knew him in the intimate details. He saw Jesus do miracles that you and I haven't seen. He saw Jesus and was there when he broke the bread and distributed the loaves and the fishes. He was there when Jesus, he was there when Jesus made blind eyes to see the blind eyes of blind Bartimaeus. He saw the Lord Jesus as he made lame legs walk and deaf ears to hear. He saw the Lord Jesus as he, with his voice, directly addressed Lazarus who had been dead for four days and he brought Lazarus out of the tomb. Judas saw what you and I haven't seen. Judas's eyes and ears experienced what your eyes and ears have not experienced. Jesus, the Bible says, when Judas betrayed him with a kiss, said unto him, Jesus said, friend, wherefore art thou come? In other words, Jesus knew Judas enough to refer to him as his friend. And here the scripture tells us that Judas Iscariot, for 30 pieces of silver, betrays the Son of God. Look at the end result. Matthew chapter 27. Notice what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 27, verse 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. 
Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that? And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. The scripture tells us in the book of Acts chapter 1 that he went out and found a rope that wasn't even strong enough to hold his body weight and he threw it over a tree and he fell down and his blood gushed out. His bowels gushed out. Judas Iscariot died a miserable death having betrayed the Son of God. He is the representative of the fool that will betray him. That is, someone who knows the Lord Jesus, has a close association with Jesus, has experienced some of his miracles, and yet walks away betraying the Son of God for some cheap price. Betraying the Son of God for some some worthless price. Money that he would not hold in his possession for more than a mere few hours. And the scripture tells us that Judas represents Jesus, represents uh, the fool who will betray the Son of God. I want you to see in Matthew 27 that Judas is the one who betrays the Son of God. Is there someone here like that? Someone here who has a close association. Someone here who walks with Jesus for a little while. Someone here who seems to pretend all the while that Judas was on this earth. He was pretending. He knew how to talk the talk. He knew how to walk the walk. He knew how to give the right answer. He knew how to sing the right song. And yet the scripture says that he betrayed the Son of God with a kiss. Someone rightly said he kissed the door to heaven and went straight to hell. What a tragedy. What a tragedy that Judas Iscariot would experience this unless someone be here right now who'd say oh that's not me judas isn't held in high esteem in our minds today when we say someone is a judas we're saying someone is a deceiver when we're saying someone is a judas we're saying someone is a betrayer they would be like a benedict arnold or some of the modern spies in our day who have turned coat and they've gone to the other side for china or for russia we would say that person is a judas it's not the highest of compliments in fact we don't name our children judas we might name our dog. We might not even name our dog Judas. But, but the fact is, is that Judas Iscariot has a, a notorious name, an infamous name, not a good name, a bad name. I want to ask, is there someone here like that? Someone here knew, knows how to blend in? Judas Iscariot knew how to blend in. He knew how to, nobody, nobody suspected Judas Iscariot. In fact, when Jesus said that one of you in our midst is going to betray me, Nobody looked at Judas and said, I know it's him. I've been suspicious about that character for a while. They all said, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? By the way, just as a parenthesis to this message, that's the right response if you want revival. The right response is, Lord, is it I? Oh, what a terrible thing that Jesus would be betrayed, that someone in our midst would betray him. Lord, is it I? And by the way, to cover his tracks, Judas said, Lord... Is it I? Judas knew how to put on a confession face. He knew how to put on a humble facade. Judas knew how to pretend and blend really well. Now watch. No one would ever try in their right mind that is a decent person to put or to impose Judas upon you. But you know whether you're pretending. You know, pretend might be a good game for a three or four year old girl. 
But it's not a good game for a Christian. It's not a good game. Because someday, pretense will all vanish. And someday, only what is real will be revealed. Young person, let me ask you a question. Are you playing pretend right now? You know how to look the part, act the part, pretend before your parents, and yet you know you have deep-rooted sin? Judas Iscariot, the whole while he was with the Lord Jesus, knew that he had never been born again, that he'd never been saved, that he'd never been washed in the cleansing fountain, that he'd never been filled with the Lord. He knew that. He knew that he'd never repented of his sins. It was just a game. It was just a, a, a curiosity to him. It was just pretense. Look here. If you're playing pretend for your pastor's sake, you're very short-sighted. You can pull the wool over your pastor's eyes. I, I can pull the wool over your pastor's eyes. You can pull the wool over my eyes. But if you're just pretending for the person in the pulpit, you must understand we're not the one seated at the throne someday at the judgment. We're not the one that's calling the final shot. What a tragedy that someone would be so close to Jesus, know Jesus as intimately as Judas did, uh, be aware of Jesus' great miracles, uh, be, be eyewitness to his, his, his power and His greatness, and yet go straight to hell. Betray Him for 30 pieces of silver, what you, just, just a, a, a few measly dollars. I mean, you could have a nice meal for a restaurant, at a restaurant for, for two, for, for what Judas betrayed. You could buy three nice dress shirts for a man for what Judas betrayed Jesus for. What a tragedy that someone who would be so close to Jesus, hear Jesus, witness the power of Jesus, and yet walk away from Jesus. He represents the fool who would betray him for a momentary pleasure. What gain would you hope to get? What gain would you hope to get for betraying the Son of God? For selling him out? What what gain would you hope to get? He got that gain for just a few hours. And then he realized it was blood money, that he had been played. And for 2,000 years now, Judas Iscariot has been falling and writhing and burning in the pit called hell, thinking, I was played. I was played by the devil. I was played by the Pharisees. I was played by my own flesh. Wow, what a waste. Judas Iscariot represents the fool who betrayed Jesus. What will you do with Jesus? Will you, like Judas Iscariot, betray him? But I want to draw your attention to what the Bible says in the, the scripture here in Matthew chapter 27. Notice verse number 37. Matthew 26, excuse me. Verse number 37. It says, And he took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. 
And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Notice what the Bible says on now in verse number 49. After it says that Judas Iscariot betrayed him in verse number 51. Behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then saith Jesus unto him, put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But but how then shall the, uh, the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And they that laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter following followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace. And went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the least, at the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Now I'd like you to follow down and see what the scripture says in verse 69. Now Peter sat without in the palace. And a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast of Jesus, with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow also was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for for thy speech bereath thee. I think he was probably referring to his accent, where he was from, uh, for the fact that he uh, that, that that he 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 spoke with cleanness and didn't didn't curse and swear. And so to cover his tracks, verse seventy four. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, "I know not the man." And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter represents before us the believer or the carnal Christian who denied Jesus. Peter represents the carnal Christian who denies Jesus. Now, now Peter, Peter, we wouldn't say right away was carnal. Peter, we wouldn't say always was carnal. But we certainly can say right now, he's carnal. At this moment, he's carnal. We certainly can say that while Peter denied Christ, he's carnal. We certainly can say that that when he is talking to Jesus in the upper room and and Jesus says, all of you will forsake me, and and he cries out in anger and, and pride, all may forsake you, but I'll never forsake you. We certainly can say, if he's not carnal at that moment, he's at least heading in that direction with his pride and his self-confidence. 
Wouldn't you agree with me that while he's sleeping in the garden, uh, when Jesus is praying, that he's carnal? That he's self-dependent? Couldn't you make a case that while he unsheathes his sword and slices off the servant of the high priest's ear, that he's carnal? Taking matter into his, matters into his own hands, he's carnal. Ladies and gentlemen, Peter represents the carnal Christian who denies Jesus. Uh, we're not talking about denying, uh, uh, refusing to be saved. Peter's already been saved, but he's a carnal Christian. In fact, Jesus, before Peter denies him, says, Simon, Simon. Satan hath desired to have thee, that it may sift thee as wheat. You know, it'd be a good study for you to look into the Bible and see how many times Jesus refers to different people's names or the Lord refers to different people's names twice. He's trying to get their attention. Simon, Simon. Satan hath desired to have thee. It was a point of emphasis, and it was a way to emphasize something in the Hebrew culture and the Hebrew language. Simon, Simon. You can put your name in there. Satan hath desired to have thee, that he may sift thee as wheat. We're not talking about winnowing. Winnowing is one way that you can get the the chaff away from the wheat. We do that today. They would throw the wheat up in the air, and the wind would take the chaff, the empty part, away. Winnow, sifting is a, a, a strainer, much like a screen. And the devil wants to sift you. He wants to separate the wheat from the chaff. What part do you suppose he wants to save? Not the good part. What part do you suppose he wants to emphasize about your life or mine? Not the good part. The devil wants to sift you so that he can separate the good from the bad and accentuate the bad over the good. The devil would love for some of you elderly Christians who've had a good testimony and have honored God to, in some moment of the flesh, ruin your testimony in the later years of your life so that people don't remember all the good, they only remember the bad. The devil is the false accuser of the brethren. He wants to come and he wants to accuse and accentuate the bad. Why? Because Satan desires to sift you. The devil wants to sift and separate the good from the bad in your life so that he can get your attention on the bad, not the good. And Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have the, that he may sift thee. The devil wants to sift you. Wants to ruin you. Wants to accentuate the bad in you. But Jesus, our Savior, said to Simon, But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. What a good encouragement to know that our Savior, the greatest prayer warrior ever, is interceding on our behalf. That He says, I have prayed for thee. That He ever liveth to make intercession for us. That He's interceding for us right now. That the Holy Spirit is taking our prayers when we can't even put words to our prayers. And He's interpreting to the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus is interpreting those prayers to the Father. And He's interceding for us. Our prayers make it even when we can't even word them and get them out of our mouth. They make it all the way to heaven. That's a good place to say amen right there. Well, I thank God for the fact that the Holy Spirit of God and the Lord Jesus Christ are praying for us. He said, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And then he says, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, wait, you said, preacher, I thought you said Peter was already saved. Yes, but some people that are saved aren't yet converted. You said, preacher, what? Yeah. 
Sometimes we need a conversion in our mind. Conversion. We're going from one thing to another. We're going from uh, one opposite to another. And we need to be converted. We need to be fully consecrated, fully given over to the Lord. And Peter wasn't fully given over to the Lord. He was saved. He was following Jesus. He was trying to do his best. He was making grand decrees, but he hadn't yet been converted. But after Peter goes through this denial, and after he goes fishing and gives up, and after he's discouraged because Jesus has died, and after Jesus comes and ministers to him, and makes fish for him and calls him by name. And after he says, Simon, lovest thou me? Simon, lovest thou me? Simon, lovest thou me? Feed my sheep. And after all of that, then Peter gets converted and he gets fully given over to the Lord. And when he does, he preaches at Pentecost and 3,000 people are saved. Thank God there's hope even for the carnal Christian. Well, right here in this passage of Scripture in Matthew 27, Simon Peter represents the carnal Christian that denies Jesus. Denies Jesus because of what others may think. Denies Jesus because of the threat, the inevitable threat that is there. If they did this to Jesus, what are they going to do this? What are they going to do to us? And no doubt, what are they going to do to us was in the back of the disciples' minds. That's why they locked themselves behind closed doors for the remaining three days after Jesus had died. And now Peter is the carnal Christian that denies Jesus Christ. He's, he's concerned about what others think. He's concerned about being, standing out. He's concerned about being too uh, conspicuous. And, and, and so he tries to blend in. And in blending in, he curses and swears as he denies Jesus and all of a sudden in the faint background, (laughs) and never ever before, and never ever since, was there a rooster that crowed that preached such a powerful message. We have chickens. I'm not sure exactly why, as a traveling evangelist, we have chickens. But a few years ago, we decided to get chickens. It was Easter time and one of my boys suggested that we get little Easter chicks for the pictures for Easter. And so we got the chicks and we got the pictures. And then I said, now what? <laughs> and so, so now we got these chickens and nobody necessarily wants to get rid of them except my wife. But anyway, we got a little box and we put them in. We, we, then they started getting out of the box in the trailer and that wasn't a good thing. And so then we got a bigger box and we put them outside the trailer and, and uh, we had these chickens. It's an entire drama and saga worth a, a little book. But uh, anyway, uh, we had one, one, one rooster of, of the monks all amongst them that was, that was uh, just an attack rooster. We called him Ricky Retardo. He was always attacking anybody that we sent to his way to feed the chickens he'd attack them you know they'd get aboard and they'd club him over the side of the head and knock him out and he'd still attack he felt it was his call duty to protect the hens i don't know where he got that but anyway here he was and he was always attacking it boy you know sometimes we'd hear these roosters crow now i always thought that the roosters crowed at a proper time in the morning to wake everybody up well, boy, is that the furthest thing from the truth. They'll crow whenever they see movement. I think they're crowing to kind of keep the predators away, or they're crowing just to say they can, or they're crowing because they think they have a good voice. But, you know, these roosters are just an amazing, these chickens are amazing birds. Finally, finally uh, uh, Ricky, Ricky gave his life. Uh, he was attacked by a pit bull while he was defending the, the, the chickens. But anyway, uh, enough of that. You know, I've thought a lot of things when I've heard roosters crow. Sometimes I've thought, why in the world? Shut your mouth. We've got neighbors. Please don't do that right now. What in the world are you thinking? Uh, I've thought a lot of things when I've heard roosters crow, but I can guarantee you I've never thought what Peter thought from this moment forward when he heard a rooster crow. 
No doubt from this moment forward, his mind would go back to the time when he said, everyone will forsake you except me. And maybe he prayed, Lord, please help me never to be proud like that again. When he heard a rooster crow, maybe he thought about the time that he was sleeping. It was an hour of such import. And yet he and the inner circle of James and John were sleeping. Maybe he thought of the time when he'll take matters into his own hands and unsheathe his sword and single-handedly fight off the band of Romans. And he took off Malchus's ear and he saw Jesus attach his ear. Maybe he thought of exactly what he said when he denied Christ. Can you hear the rooster crowing right now? Is the Holy Spirit pinging some area of your life of denial, carnal denial of Christ? When you come to Jesus and you get things right, He can revive you and restore you, even in spite of your denial. But if you won't come to Jesus, He won't force you. What will you do with Jesus? Will you be like, will you be like Judas, the fool who betrayed Him? Will you be like Simon Peter, the carnal Christian who denied Him? I want to draw your attention to what the Bible says in verse number 37. Would you turn back, if you will? Verse number 36, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. This is chapter 26. Chapter 26. In chapter 26, the Bible says that when they took Jesus, they brought him to Caiaphas. Verse number 57, excuse me. And they had, that had laid hold on Jesus, led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. But found none, yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God. You just pause for a moment and think of the, the, the irony of that statement. I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Watch me. This morning, you can be like Judas Iscariot, the fool that betrays him. What will you do with Jesus? You can be like Simon Peter, the carnal Christian who denies him. What will you do with Jesus? You can be like Caiaphas, 
who represents religion that scorns Jesus. Someone said to me the other day, well, I just, I'm not religious. And I said, neither am I. I'm not trying to be religious. The Bible speaks of pure religion, but pure religion is completely different than the religion of this world. Religion of this world looks interesting, looks good. Uh, It looks looks, uh, something that, that, that may be authoritative. It sometimes sounds authoritative. People go to the Pope or they go to the religious leaders of the world to try to get their opinions on matters. Uh, they, they, they read, they, they read their opinions on books and blog posts and, and they are curious, but, but religion in its essence without Jesus Christ as the only Savior and the Bible as the only foundation is about money, control, and power. That's what it's about. Someone asked me at times, what do you think about exorcism when a Catholic priest exorcises a demon? I think it's ridiculous. It's one thug mafia organization trying to exert power over another thug mafia organization. That's what I think. You can ask me what I really think afterwards. But anyway, uh, the truth of the matter is, it's just silliness. It's just silliness. It's all show. It's all put on. It's all, it's all, just, a, it's all just a facade. And Caiaphas represents religion that scorns Jesus. Do you know why he was scorning Jesus? Because Jesus posed a threat to him. Are you watching me? Jesus posed a threat to Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest. Caiaphas was in charge. Caiaphas was the guy that was uh, that everybody looked to. Caiaphas was the guy who called the shots. Caiaphas was the one who sat on his little throne and in his little seat of power. But Jesus is the one who really calls the shots. Jesus is the one who has a throne that really matters. Jesus is the one whose word is what is final. Listen, hear me. Jesus Christ is the one who stands as the authority. He's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And as such, he poses a threat. There are some religions here in this town and in this valley and in this state, some religions that pose, that look at Jesus as a threat. That's why they have to wave their flags. That's why they have to make their statements. But religion in its essence scorns Jesus. Religion boiled down without Jesus Christ as the only Savior and the Bible as the only foundation is what crucified Jesus. Someone says, well, did the Jews do it or did the Romans? The answer is yes. There's not a one of us that are guiltless. The Gentiles can't plead guilt, not guilty. The Jews can't plead not guilty. All of us nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. Those that were religious and those that were not. And religion without Jesus Christ is the only foundation. And the Bible is the, is the only foundation is nothing but a, a money-making machine. Uh, religion is, is, you talk about business? Religion is, is a big-time business. It, it's a racket. We're not talking about Bible-believing Christianity. We're not talking about those that know and love the Lord. We're talking about religion. Without Jesus Christ as the only Savior and the Bible as the only foundation. And what does it do? It scorns Jesus. It was religion and Caiaphas who stirred up scorn against Jesus to nail him to the cross. And when Pilate said, what, uh, what should I do? Should I release Barabbas? It's typical that you would release a criminal uh, on, on the Passover. Or should I release Jesus? And they said, release Barabbas. He said, what then should I do with Jesus? And he said, crucify Jesus. And Pilate, who 
was seeming to be an awe religious kind of a person said, Why? What evil hath he done? This doesn't make sense. But religion without Jesus Christ is the only Savior, and the Bible is the only foundation. doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. By the way, it's religion that will tell you that you've got to work hard and try hard and give and, and, and come and, and do. And, and, and it's got a list a mile long, depending on which religion you choose. And at the end of all of that, maybe you'll make it to heaven. Now, how about it, ladies? Would you buy a product that would tell you this is what you got to do and this is what you got to do and this is what you got to do? And maybe at the end, their product might work. Would you buy a makeup like that? Would you buy cleaner like that? Would you buy a toaster like that? Do this, push this button, stand on your head, pat your uh, tum- head and, and rub your tummy, and at the end of all, maybe, maybe it'll work? No, you wouldn't buy that. In fact, you'd put a bad star rating. In fact, you'd put a negative 15 star rating on something like that. And yet, that's what religion does. Try real hard, work really hard. At the end, we can give you the best we can give you is a maybe you'll make it. What? What, what, what f- confusion? But it re- represents religion that scorns Jesus. Quickly, I want you to turn to one final passage now. I want to draw your attention to what the Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 27, would you? Matthew chapter 27. Notice what the Bible says in verse number uh, 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Watch now. Look here at what it says. Matthew chapter 27. Look back at verse number 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Notice what the scripture says in verse number uh, 10. And gave them for uh, verse 11. And Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, uh, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how, how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Wow. The Bible says about this that, that Pilate didn't know what to do with Jesus. What does Pilate represent? Are, are, are you ready? Pilate represents the politician who is neutral. Pilate represents the politician who is neutral. You see here, you have, you have Judas, the fool that betrays him. You have Peter, the carnal Christian that denies him. You have uh, Caiaphas, the high priest or religion that scorns him. Now you have Pilate, that is, the politician who try, pr- tries to be neutral. Oh, well, what are we going to do with Jesus? How, how are we going to deal with this Jesus? I don't know what to do with Jesus. What should I do with Jesus? What should I do with Barabbas? What should I do with Jesus? Uh, why? What evil hath he done? Do you know Pilate had been uh, told by his wife, leave this man alone. I've been troubled by, by him in my dreams. Pilate didn't know what to do with him. Pilate was the consummate p- politician. Uh, some of my friends are for it, and some of my friends are against it. I stand with my friends. Uh, you know, what, what are you going to do with a politician? Uh, a few weeks ago, I was in Colorado, and there was an older gentleman who had been saved for several years, and he suggested open season on the politician. I didn't suggest that, but I thought that was a good idea. Anyway, uh, well, what do you think? What a crazy notion. What a crazy notion. You want to be neutral? This is a time of great import. You have a chance to release him. 
You say, well, preacher, wouldn't prophecy have been fulfilled? Would prophecy have been fulfilled if he had released it? Well, yes, of course, I understand the line of questioning. But the fact is, is that Pilate had a choice. Just like you have a choice. What will you do with Jesus? You can't, well, say, I, I was in a position of leadership. Well, I was supposed to fulfill a Bible prophecy. What, you know, if Judas hadn't betrayed him, there'd have been somebody else. If Pilate hadn't given him over, there'd have been somebody else. The fact of the matter is, is that Pilate was the politician that just tries to be neutral about Jesus. Well, I'll just be neutral. I, I'm not going to give an opinion. I, I'm not going to give my opinion. You can't be neutral with Jesus. You can either believe on Him or you can not believe on Him. And what you do with Jesus now determines what He will do with you. Then, what will you do with Jesus? Will you be like Judas, the fool that betrays Him? Will you be like Caiaphas, the religion that scorns Him? Will you be like Peter, the carnal Christian that denies Him? Will you be like Pilate, the the, uh, politician that is neutral to Him? What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? I want you to look, please, now at our final passage. Notice, please, Matthew 27. Verse number 51, Matthew 27 and verse 51. Notice what the scripture says. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent. This is while Jesus is hanging on the cross. It was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Wow! What happened with Jesus? Watch me. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, there were some crazy phenomenon that took place. And it wasn't just phenomenon. It wasn't just rumor. It was actual factual. First of all, the noonday sun when Jesus died turned to midnight black. We're not just talking about maybe an eclipse, maybe a really heavy cloud cover. Uh, We're talking about the noonday sun turned to midnight black. We're talking about the ground beneath the cross was rent. That means there was an earthquake that was the ground and the rocks around shook. And some people believe it was an earthquake that was the world over. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, there were graves that, res- that were opened and the dead came out of those graves and they appeared to the people in Jerusalem. People that had formerly died were resurrected. Why? Because of the power that was wielded when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Jesus didn't die as a defeated martyr for a righteous cause. Jesus didn't die as a a good man that was falsely accused. Jesus didn't die uh, as a religious, uh, a founder of a religion. And and, and he dies to, to, to establish that religion. No, Jesus died as the Savior of the world. He is the only one that came to this earth to taste death for every man. He is the only one that was born to die. He was the only one, the Bible says, that accomplished death. Who who do you know that says they accomplished death? I had a friend that died. He's 43 years old this week. He died in New York City. Went to sleep and he died. They say of a heart attack. Left his wife and seven children. One baby that's not not even one. And faithfully serving the Lord. Well, when Jason Walker died, we don't say he accomplished death. We say, oh, this is a tragedy. How could this happen? It's a surprise to everyone. My wife said it and she, oh, I said, what, what, what's wrong, honey? He said, Jason Walker died. I said, what? Jason Walker, the guy I preached for, the guy that used to be singing in my choir when we were in college together, the guy that, that traveled for groups. What? He, what? What? What just happened? 
We don't say he accomplished death, but when Jesus died, we say he accomplished death because that is why he was born. He was born to die. He tasted death for every man. He accomplished death. And he, hallelujah, conquered death. And because of all of that, at the moment that Jesus Christ died on the cross, the noonday sun turns black. The ground beneath the cross and perhaps the world over begins to quake. The veil of the temple rends from top to bottom. The graves of Jerusalem were open and some people were, were resurrected. That's what happened when Jesus, because the power of the cross is power enough to do all of this combined and to save your soul and wash your sin debt completely away. What will you do with Jesus? Well, there was one that said, I I know what I'm going to do. Notice verse number 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the son of God. You can be the one who believes on Jesus. The centurion is the one who wisely believes on Jesus. What will you do with Jesus today? What will you do with Jesus? The centurion believed on Jesus in the moment. He did believe on Jesus instantly, supernaturally, miraculously, wonderfully, permanently. He was saved. He was saved. Judas was the fool who rejected Jesus. Caiaphas was religion that scorned Jesus. Uh, Pilate was the politician that, that, that tried to be neutral with Jesus. Peter is the, Peter is the carnal Christian that denies Jesus. I want to ask you the question, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? Neutral, you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? Would you bow with me in prayer?